This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Brought to you by Canada Post. Head to canadapost.ca forward slash insight podcast for ideas to add value to your marketing. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Jam. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Canada Post for making this show possible. If you haven't subscribed to Insight Magazine and gotten one of those physical awesome magazines sent to your office or home yet, they are amazing, full of knowledge, ideas, and all sorts of inspiration of mail campaigns all around the world. Um, make sure to subscribe. Thank Canada Post for making the show possible. Well, without further ado, I want to welcome our guest today. This is actually a four-year-in-the-making dream come true. When we first started the show, um, Marketing Jam, we use a project management software at Jelly called Basecamp. And so we sought out to say, okay, think of all the software we use at Jelly and how do we get them as guests on our show? So uh, it's been four years and worth the wait. So David, thank you so much for being on here. You are the CTO and co-founder of Basecamp. Um, and a dream come true. So thank you so much for coming today. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for being a Basecamp customer all along. So um, why don't you give us some of the story of how it got started? I know a bit about it. Uh, you you met Jason. You were helping him kind of develop it, and, and kind of where did it go from there? Yeah, so I started uh, working together with Jason Fried, my business partner at Basecamp, all the way back in 2001 when the company wasn't even called Basecamp, it was called 37 Signals. Yeah. And in 2001, it wasn't even a software company, it was a consulting company oh, doing wow. web design for clients. So I started working with Jason back in 2001 on a, a variety of uh, consulting projects where I would do the programming, 37 Signals did the design. And then shortly thereafter, we started working on some internal projects together. Um, the first thing we did was something called single file okay. so jason in the 90s did some file maker pro apps for tracking like your book collection and your cd collection and so on and he wanted to bring one of those apps to the web so okay. we took the book collection app and we brought it to the web and it was called single file and it was the first okay. sort of product that we launched together um and it did sort of fine there mm -hmm. could probably have been a nice little business in that but didn't really take off then, uh, I think maybe two years later or something like that, we realized that we'd been working on these client projects together and things kept falling through the cracks. Mm. Like we would just do them over email and like someone would say something or they'd send the wrong file. It'd just be the mess that managing projects over yeah. email always turns into, right? Email is such a wonderful tool. And I mean, it's kind of funny. We're working on an email product now. So I have a lot of love for email. Mm -hmm. But organizing projects with multiple participants, multiple deliveries, it just always falls down. Yeah. And it falls down at the least opportune time always, right? Yeah. And you just go like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. So we went, do you know what? Hey, we know how to build software. Can't we do something that's just a little better than email? It doesn't have to be amazing. It's just a little better than, than, than email. And that's what became Basecamp. In 2003, we started working on Basecamp together. Just for ourselves, actually, uh, the original pitch was we just want to make a small little tool. It's basically like a blog plus the to-do list manager yeah. plus some file uploading and, and tracking on a calendar yeah. such that we can do all the stuff we need to do for the project. Um, and we'll just do it for us. And then about halfway through, um, we realized, hey, this is, this is nice. <laughs> this is better. Maybe other people would be interested in it, too. And we showed it to some people in the industry. Kudal Partners in Chicago was one of the first companies to use it as well. And they were like, hey, 
can I pay for this? And we were like, yes. <laughs> and then in 2004, we released it. Um, and it was a side project. I mean, we built it on the side. We had clients. Um, and we essentially treated Basecamp like it was the third or the fourth client. And we did so for quite a while. It took over a year before Basecamp was doing well enough as a business to just pay the meager salaries of the four people at 37 Signals at the time. Yeah. But yeah. then we just stuck with it. And here we are. Yeah. 16 years later, we're still yeah. doing Basecamp. Um, we're in version three. We've made yeah. a bunch of other products over the years and yeah. stopped selling some of them. And now we're working on a brand new product called Hey to, to do email. Wow. And in that whole time in the past, what, 20 years that I've been working with Jason, um, we've, we've sort of, um, I guess, what we'll talk about here, taken a, a kind of a slightly different approach to the marketing that our number one approach is to out teach the competition rather than outspend the competition which is the saying i got from kathy sierra back in the mid 2000s and it always just stuck with me that we we felt like we were learning so much building this business um doing the, the software we did doing the design techniques we did that hey we should share those I, we've gotten so much like our entire business is basically possible because there's a bunch of free software out there called open source software and you get to use it for free, even if you're not, you don't have to be a big company. You don't have to sign licensing agreements. So our entire basis of our business is possible because there was just free stuff out there. And we thought like, hey, we got to return some of that and put it back into the system. And that's what we've done with um, blogging and, and conferences and podcasts. And, yeah. and, and we've written a couple of books and, and shared a bunch of our techniques uh, of our own software and design. Uh, probably the, the biggest one is uh, Ruby on Rails. Yeah. The web application toolkit that we extracted from Basecamp is also something we, we're still working on 16 years later. And it's been used on everything from GitHub to Shopify to Twitter to, to whatever. So that's the short history <laughs> bringing wow. us to 2020. And to clarify, so you guys are the, would you say you're the, the creator of Ruby on Rails then? Is that the best way to oh, put yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote Ruby on Rails as the single programmer on Basecamp back in 2003. And then I open sourced it in late 2004 um, and sort of uh, continued to to spearhead that project and, and run that project. And now, of course, there's thousands and thousands yeah. of open source uh, contributors who help make it better and a bunch of companies that are really invested in it, like uh, GitHub and Shopify and, and many others. Um, and, and of course, like millions of applications that have been created with it. So That's incredible. So we um, adopted Basecamp to, in 2013 to run our entire agency. Um, and you guys launched a Basecamp 3. Um, which we did not, we, we tried it for a bit, but we stuck to our two, which, it, tell me, are we an unusual, are we an outlier? Is that a normal thing uh, from what it's, you've seen? It's, it's, it's totally normal, and in my opinion, it's totally awesome. Thank so, you. So much of software, especially software as a service, yeah. people who make software, they always think the latest version is better for everyone all the time on their schedule. Yeah. And it, it never is. Yeah. There's so many times where you just, for whatever reason, you either like that version of the software yeah. because it does things differently. You're used to it. You've trained your people on it. It just works, right? Yeah. And I think so many software makers, they don't have the humility to think that the world does not revolve around their software, huh. right? For a lot of companies, even if they like it, it's a fax machine. It's yeah. a nice fax machine. But you know what? The firmware upgrade is never timely. 
you're never like, oh, the thing I wanted to do was just reject my entire process right now on your schedule. Now, that's not to say that, I mean, we're not proud of Basecamp 3. Obviously, we think it's the best version, yeah. but it's the best version for us. It's the best version for new customers. Yeah. And then we have we have a huge amount of our business is still running, not just on Basecamp 2, um, but the, the original classic version. We still run and operate the original classic version that was launched in 2004 that wow. we stopped developed in... 2009 so we have this major part of our business um that's that's piece of software that's 11 years old that has basically only been upgraded to deal with security issues or performance issues yeah. and then we have basecamp 2 and i love all those venues right like imagine if if you you're like a, a fan of the leica camera right yeah yeah you like the leica m6 it's a great camera and like it comes. Yep. Do you know what? That doesn't work anymore. You got to buy a yeah. digital M10 because that's the yeah. only thing we sell now. So throw out your M6 yeah. and do it right now and throw out your dark room and throw out yeah. all your, your stuff. People go like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's really been a great source of pride that uh-huh. we've kept these versions of Basecamp around. Like you look back at any other company, whether it's Leica, whether it's Porsche, whether yeah. it's Rolex, they have this legacy. And mm-hmm. in software, legacy is a bad word, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it means it means old, it means kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to mean that? Couldn't it just mean a period of time where this was the best thing that you made, right? Like I have a, a, a Rolex watch from 1972. Wow. I think that version of that watch, that's the best one. They made newer ones. They got yeah. better in all sorts of objective terms, perhaps, maybe yeah. more waterproof, or maybe they can go longer without a revision or something else. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I like the one from 72. That one is great, right? Um, and, and I think, there, why can't we have that in software? Especially when you have something like what we did for Basecamp was the different versions of Basecamp aren't just like, well, here's a new feature. Mm-hmm. We went, hey, let's redesign the whole thing from yeah. scratch. It's yeah. the same domain, but it's a completely yeah. different take on it, right? It's a different spin. And of course, there's going to be people who are like, you know what? I like this. I like spin number two. Do you, yeah. th- do you think Leica is offended if someone says like, I like the M6? And yeah. someone else says, I like the M5. No, they go like, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So that's that's the spiel and why we do it. And, and we've really encapsulated this actually into an entire operating principle. And we call it until the end of the internet. Nice. So that's how long we're going to continue to operate Basecamp 2 that you're on. Until the end of the internet. And Basecamp Classic as well. And Basecamp 3, at some point, we're going to come out with a Basecamp 4 perhaps. Um We've we've done a lot of other products over the years. We have a CRM tool called HiRise that yeah. we sold for a long time, but then we yeah. stopped selling it maybe three or four years ago because we just weren't improving it. And still, it's going to be around until the end of the internet. That's awesome. So we, um, using Basecamp 2, we have sometimes we have to work with another agency on a project and some of them use Basecamp 3. And so we've been on there and it's great. Like the, the waves, the little bells, like it, it's awesome. But we found that like we have it structured, and th- uh, this is how we structure Basecamp, um, especially for agencies that are listening, is that we invite everyone to the project, all of our staff, all of our clients. The clients are in a different kind of invitation world, and so we can hide things from the client, and we can keep internal conversations going. Um, but then it's so simple, and our clients have adopted it. So you say it's not, uh, the world doesn't revolve around your software. Well, our jelly world actually revolves around Basecamp. So, uh, so all of our to-dos, our calendar, right. our weekly updates all go through Basecamp right now. That's great. Well, so what's interesting is that with Basecamp 3, the whole client model and how we did it, we, we changed it completely and we called yeah. it the client side. Yeah. And it was a bad idea. It didn't work. 
people didn't like it. Exactly what you described is what we yeah. went back to. So if you tried Basecamp 3 now, maybe you'd like it better because okay. we actually went back to the Basecamp 2 model <laughs> where everyone is on the same project yeah. and you can hide yeah. certain things that you don't want to share versus before we went like, eh, maybe clients don't want to be all involved. And what we found was there was just a lot of clients, yeah, they wanted to be involved. Like Basecamp yeah. was actually a value add for the relationship that it was better for them to, to be involved in a, in a piece of software where they were on the same page. And we thought, do you know what? Because we had heard some stories, right? Like one of the most common reasons for why people stop using Basecamp is they say, I couldn't get others to use it with me. Hmm. And we went, Oh, maybe that's specifically a problem with, with client services. Let's make it even easier. Let's make it such that the clients just deal with email. They don't yeah. have to get a login and all these yeah. other things. And for a few people, that was better. And for a lot of people, just like you explained, yeah. it was it was better. It was a little bit of a hurdle, perhaps sometimes, to get clients to learn a new system. Oh, yes. yes. Once they do, yeah. they go like, oh, this is better. And they love it. It becomes their file storage, and then they yes. adopt it in their own company. It's been incredible the amount of stories of clients that now use Basecamp internally for accountability purposes, yes. really. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and this was where we just we got it wrong. And and mm. I think that's part of that humility, right? To to think of sometimes you make a decision and you kind of luck out. Like mm. you, you come up with a great design yeah. and you don't really know it's a great design until you try to redo it and you do it worse. Yeah. And then you go like, you know what? Actually, we had a good idea there. Maybe we should just go back to that. So we try to keep that humility that like, we're not always going to be right. And yeah. there's going to be great ideas in earlier versions of the software that are going to persevere. So we shouldn't be so quick to yeah. just pull it and yank the, the plug, right? The other thing there too is we've been on the receiving end of others yanking the plug, right? Like anyone who's used Google software knows that they seem to shut down software like every every week. You, you just get used to using something and then like, all right, you can't use it anymore. We're actually dealing with this right now with, um, with Highrise, which has an integration with Gmail that allows it to yeah. send some email in a certain way. And Gmail just goes like, yeah, we don't want to do that anymore. And like mm. stuff just starts breaking. We go like, Jesus, this is why we want to do until the end of the internet. This is why we want to keep things around. This is why we want to let people stay on the version that they're happy yeah. with. And why not, right? Like the, the thing that's great about uh, software as a service is as long as people keep paying you, yeah, that that's the game on, on the on the commercial level, right? Like yeah. do I really care whether people want to pay me for Basecamp 2 or for Basecamp 3? No, I don't. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing we've also done, uh, learned a hard lesson is we've never... I think this is true. We've never raised prices on existing customers. So if you signed up for Basecamp in 2005 yeah. and you signed up for the $19 a month plan, you're paying $19 a month now. Yeah, we're, still signed, paying, yeah we're still paying the same amount right now. Exactly, because we just don't do that. And we go like, you know what? Um, someone signed up and, and they made that leap of... Uh, faith in and they're committed to a platform, we're not just going to change it on them. Because that's the thing I really don't like about services in general. It, it You feel like you put your data into it, you're yeah. kind of captive, and now someone yeah. just starts turning the screws on you. Yeah. You're like, no, no, let's not do that. Let's just instead keep putting out our best work and charge market rates yeah. for that at that time. Yeah. Uh, and then everyone else, they're here because they're part of our legacy. We celebrate our legacy. We cherish our legacy. And, and it's all good. It's it's quite funny. We uh, talking to other agency owners that use other stuff. It's almost like there's um. It's like if you've read Harry Potter. It's like what school do you belong to, right? There's almost yes. like a pride in like some people are like, right. well, I'm a sauna, and then they look you up and down like you're not an Asana user, right? Or you're <laughs> you're not a Monday user. So it's like yeah. they assume certain personality traits about you or certain characteristics because right. you, you you subscribe to that camp. 
It, and it, I mean, it's the same thing. We, we were talking about cameras, right? Like, are you a Leica shooter? Or are you a Canon shooter? Are you a Nikon shooter? Right? Like, there's there's all this sort of tribalism that's just innate in human nature, and we just we infer it on. Same thing with the cars, like, oh, Porsche or, or whatever, an Audi or, or yeah. whatever else have you. There, there's brand loyalty is yeah. quite strong, and people end up adopting it sort of deep in their heart that, like, I am the kind of person who would buy a Leica. I am the kind of person who'd aspire to own a Porsche, like that kind of stuff, which is, I always have sort of two ways about it, right? On the one hand, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of some of these companies we were talking about, both Leica and Porsche, like huge fan of that uh, Rolex as well, just in awe, right? And at the same time, I'm also like, what I I try to sort of not get sucked into it, right? Not um, sort of wrap my identity and my ego yeah. up in like what do i buy and what do i yeah. use because that also doesn't feel great but um there's some place there in the middle where you like things you like because they're the kind of companies you want to associate with they build the kind yeah. of products that you enjoy and you can still keep it at some arm's length where they don't define who you are yeah yeah no it makes sense and sometimes i describe when people ask like what's the difference between the different project management systems i'm like well if you're a mac or a pc user right so i describe often Basecamp is more for Mac users because it's a little more like colorful, it's rounded edges, sure. it's easy to use, it's uh-huh. intuitive. We're like Asana is more like using a PC, like there's a lot of systems and things to figure out. You have to learn, there's a learning curve to figuring it out where Basecamp's kind of like turning on a MacBook, it just works. I'm just going to record that and we're going to play that now as our advertising <laughs> reel for Basecamp. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 very true that there just are... Sometimes you just go like the reason I like this product is because the people who built it, they thought like I would think and therefore it's intuitive for me. Yes. Right. Versus. And that's the thing about uh, I mean, I'm a Mac user as well. I've been a Mac user for, for a good 20 years when mm-hmm. I talk to PC users or the same thing, iOS versus Android. Right. Like there are people who just their brain is wired in such a way that like Android or Windows just totally speaks for them. Like yeah. I want maximum um, sort of adjustability. I want to set things up and just sort of, I, I want to tinker. I want to, and, and I go like, that's amazing. Like we need that variety. And that's where we have to keep that in mind with the tribalism that naturally occurs is that it's great to find your tribe. It yeah. feels like you find someone you belong to, you can connect to. It's really wonderful. You just got to keep in mind that like, People are wired differently. And then people in the other tribe, they are there a lot of the times because their brain simply just is routed differently. And when they see the world, they respond to something else. And that's what gives us sort of this diversity, which is why we've been so happy to be in this world with with project management because it's not a winner takes all. Mm -hmm. There's room for, I don't know, at this point, there's probably a hundred different tools that does sort of something like what Basecamp does, right? And we can all be there. We can all have our little tribe because it doesn't end up being like a Facebook winner takes all or or whatever, where there's these network effects that make it almost impossible for someone to offer an alternative. Um, So offering products in that marketplace where we can simply compete on like, hey, we're putting a product out there. We explicitly say this is not for everyone. Right. Yeah. Like there's going to be people who show up at our door at base camp and go like, does it do this? Does it do that? And we just going to, you know what? No, that's not yeah. the, the focus of it. And you'd be better off if you picked a different product. Yeah. Um, and we could be OK with that. We don't yeah. need like five percent of any, whatever the world market for project management. We have enough and it's yeah. good. And we can focus on that group and we can make wonderful software for yeah. it. Um, they're happy. We're happy. It's big enough. That's awesome. how the world should be. 
we did a we did a little hack here at at Jelly on our Basecamp too. So how we do it, where every time we assign a project, we give it a one, two, three, four before we describe the project title. If it's a one, it's like drop everything you need to do it. This happens rarely, but it's like drop everything. This is it. And it's a two is like this is a real deadline. Like the date that we've assigned is real. A three is hey, this would be nice to do. This would be nice to do. And a four is like back burner. Like think about doing something like this. I and so that's it. kind of our own internal ways that we've made Basecamp even better for us yes. and even communicate really clear expectations to our, our staff and our coworkers. I love it. You used to think that uh, we used to talk about that more, this idea that like you build your own conventions, you build like your own dialect yeah. of the software, you put yeah. in like little tweak, you know what that means, right? Yeah. And that's how you can, you get to change the software and how it works for you even though you can't reprogram it, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, a lot of people look at that and they go like, that's bad. Like it means that the software wasn't sort of no. well-designed. No, it means that it's more flexible, right? Yeah. Because one of the things when we started with Basecamp, we started building Basecamp specifically for client services firms, right? Because that's who we were, That that's what we knew, right? Yeah. But we didn't build it in in such an explicit way that like, the whole language was about that, which was how we then ended up like learning, oh, all of a sudden this church signed up. All of a sudden, this other organization signed up, and we, we learned that a bunch of people found use out of Basecamp exactly because it wasn't overly specified, right? Yeah. Overly specialized. And yeah. that's also part of what makes it easier to use. When there's this deep vernacular you have to learn because it's yeah. sort of deep in the trade of yeah. a certain industry, it just raises the bar. And I think especially for client services firms where you you got to get a client up and running pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. you, you can't spend 20 hours teaching them how to yeah. use the system. They pretty much just have to get it. Yeah. As soon as they get the login, otherwise it's not going to work. That's um, that's really a powerful, uh, powerful approach. Now, David, you wrote a book. You have a book out. Tell us about it. Tell us about the book and, and why you wrote that. Yes. Um, so we've actually written four books, Jason and I, over the years. But the latest one is called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Yeah. Which is funny because at first we were going to call it The Calm Company. Which kind of, um, we had an internal competition at Basecamp for designing the cover. Yeah. And the Calm Company was the, the working title for it. And all the um, applications for that cover were all about like these send circles and people sitting quiet and, and whatever. And we went like, hey, that's, that's really nice. But you know what? That's not the argument we're making. We're yeah. far more aggressive. So that's how we ended up. It doesn't have to be crazy at work because we're making an argument, an aggressive argument, actually, for um, why the way most companies today are structured is just harmful actually, yeah. for human beings, for the soul of working people, that yeah. it, we don't need to configure our companies in this way. Um, and this goes all the way from how we spend our time yeah. to what are our, our ambitions. Yeah. In, in software, which is really the domain we know the best, uh, there's a default assumption that everyone wants to be a unicorn. Everyone mm -hmm. wants to be a billion-dollar company, mm -hmm. and they want to sort of preferably get there in like three years, right? Like overnight. And... That's not us. That's not who we wanted. Like one of the chapters in the um, in the book is called "Our Goals, No Goals." Yeah. Like, there's not this. Like we don't have to just manically grow. We don't have to get to sort of this this big um, uh, moment where we go public or, or whatever else it is. We're really happy where we are. Like we yeah. run a company of fifty six people. Yeah. That's a great size. Yeah. Um. 
Jason and I have both sort of decided like that's around the size that we like. Mm. I wouldn't want to run a company of 300 or 3000 yeah. or 30,000 because then my job would be totally different. Yeah. And just even putting some of that out there of how we think about ambition, how we think about aspiration yeah. and that it's okay to say stop. Not only is it okay, it's actually in many ways better. One of the other things we have is like small is not a stepping stone. Mm. Like, a small company, a medium-sized company, mm. it's not just like on the road to yeah. become like a huge company and they like haven't made it until they've arrived there. They can totally uh, and authentically just say like, you know what, this company of 10 people, that's a yeah. great place to be. In mm. many ways, when I think of our company of 56, I think back of when we were 15 and I have smiles on my face, yeah. right? Like a lot of people do that. This was actually how we, we arrived at some of these conclusions in the book. We're talking to other entrepreneurs and reminiscing about the quote unquote good times, right? Like the times where they enjoyed the business the most. Yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs who were now responsible for hundreds or thousands of people would think back with such sort of a sparkle in their eye for like, oh, when we were 20 people, remember that? Uh -huh. Remember when I was doing the work? Remember? And we went like, hey, we could just stop at the sparkle. Like, yeah. why move past the sparkle? Um, so that's one of the, the big uh, uh, themes of the book is to reset what do business objectives mean? What are business goals? You don't have to just adopt what is on the cover of some magazine or, or some aspiration that are being handed down to you. You can find other aspirations that are closer to what's actually true for you. Yeah. Um, the second part of that, which is just as important, is a diagnosis of how we spend our time. Mm. And the diagnosis is is um, it's a harsh one. Um, we generally think that we spend our time very poorly, and that is a key root so source of discontent mm. and and just misery at a lot of companies. So many companies today, for example, do not allow their workers to do the deep, careful, diligent, creative work that requires multiple hours of uninterrupted time. Mm. Right. They'll take the workday and then they'll slice it up into these tiny little work moments. Mm -hmm. Hey, you get an hour and a half here. You get 40 minutes there. And in between all of that stuff is mandatory meetings or, or other sort of impositions put on your calendar that makes it impossible for you to string together the time to really dive deep, to get mm -hmm. into the flow, to do the, the, the creative work you really want to do, to do that kind of work that is truly satisfying, where when you close the laptop at the end of the day, you go like, do you know what? That was a good day's work. Mm. And when you close the laptop at the end of the week, you, you look back with satisfaction yeah. of all the things you've accomplished. I think there's so many creative workers today who get trapped in habits and procedures where when they look back at the week, at the end of the week, they're mm. like, what, what what did I actually get done this yeah. week? And there's just a deep gnawing sense of discontent from that, that I think most creative people are, and I'm speaking mostly for myself here, but yeah. extrapolating, but they're kind of wired to feel good about creating. Yes. And when we're, we're, we're kind of hampered in that creative expression, we grow sully. Right. Yeah, like we, uh, we kind of get a little shitty and, and it just doesn't feel right. And I think that that's one of the, the big sort of scams of the modern office is that it makes us feel like though we're working, even though we're making no progress so much of the time. Right. One of the things we, we argue about is, as I say, cutting up the day into work moments. Something else is just the work environment. It's mm -hmm. become very hip for last I mean, 15, 20 years, the open office, right? Yeah. This is, this is, this is the modern office. This is how we create. 
you look at all the studies about how concentration work and how collaboration actually works, and the open office is just terrible on all the metrics. It looks great. Yeah. Right. It looks really good. If it's you're taking someone in, it's cheaper to build. It's, it's cheaper to build. It's it's more flexible in many ways when you sort of maybe you go from eight employees to twelve employees or whatever up and down. It is more flexible, but it's not good for work. It is not good for sort of that deep creative work. It may be good for certain kinds of work. Um, the people I mostly hear who are very happy with it are either salespeople or executives, people mm -hmm. who who don't need two, three, four hours of uninterrupted time to do their work, that that's all running on an interrupt schedule, they're usually fine with it. But when you talk to people who, who do that creative work and need the uninterrupted time, a lot of them are seriously discontent with the setup. Um, so that's one of these other things and, and why we've embraced remote work at Basecamp and not just for the current pandemic, but that's how we've been operating for the past 20 years. Yeah. Giving employees the opportunity to live where they want to live. Yeah and work in the way that feels good to them. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone just works from their own sort of spare bedroom. We have plenty of people who actually like the energy of other people. Yeah, yeah. So some people occasionally they'll go to a coffee shop, they'll yeah. go somewhere else or a co-working location, yeah. maybe a couple of days a week, maybe on their own schedule. We force no one into the office um, and we let people find where, where they want to work. And it also gives us sort of the freedom and flexibility to hire people from wherever. Yeah. So Basecamp, and Third Seven Signals before it is a Chicago company. It was founded yeah. in Chicago. If we could only have hired within, a, let's say, 45 minutes commute distance of the Chicago office, we yeah. would have looked at a very small talent pool compared yeah. to the, what, 600, 700 million yeah. people we looked at when we hired between mainly the US, Canada, and Europe, um, which is like, why? Yeah. Right? So, these are some of the themes that we go over in, in the book, trying to reshape. Um, the aspirations of, of the modern business and the configuration of the modern business and arrive at a place where more people can do the kind of work that leaves a deep mark of life satisfaction on their soul. And they can keep doing it for year after year after year. And that sense of uh, long-term satisfaction, both with the people you work with and the way you work, yeah. it has just been such a monumental influence on, on, on our lives that we're like, more people should do this. More people should work like this. And we can perhaps share some tips, tricks, and inspiration of how to do it and how to get there that we've picked up over the past 20 years. So David, I got to ask, um, I want to uh, quote something from you where you talked about Zoom and Tetris. And, and <laughs> yes. has, so I've heard the term uh, inbox zero. I yep. use a term called calendar zero, yep. but, that was, and you, but you reference Zoom as Zoom's attempt to uh, fill your calendar like a Tetris block. Fill it yes. with Explain yes. that to me. Yeah, so that's the, the game of calendar Tetris. If you look at a, a modern calendar today, it's all these little blocks. They all have these little different shapes and colors. They yes. look very much like a Tetris board. And for a lot of employees, they end up with essentially a full board. Yes. All hours are spoken for. And if yeah. there's an open time, yeah. someone can just come in and grab it. Yeah. They can just take it, right? So that's one of the things we, we one of the chapters in the book is called T Calendar Tetris. And we talk about how we don't have open calendars at Basecamp. Right. I can't see what's on Jason's calendar. Yeah. If I want to book some time with Jason, yeah. it is a 
manual process that's kind yeah. of a pain in the ass yeah. but where i ask him like hey are you free friday at 10 and he says no but maybe we could do monday at two <laughs> yeah right like it's this manual ping pong back and forth which just gets exponentially more difficult the more people you want to involve yeah. if you want to do the manual ping pong with eight people it's a real pain in the ass oh yeah so do you know what happens we don't do it we don't do the manual ping pong with eight people because it's such a pain in the ass. Yeah. But usually our meetings are capped out when like three or four people are there yeah. because any more than that, it's just too much of a hassle to organize. And that's the kind of procedural vinegar yeah. we want. We want it to be difficult. We want friction. Yeah. So much of modern software today is constructed on the notion that all friction is bad and yeah. all friction should be erased. Yeah, yeah. When you think of protecting someone's time, you want barriers. You yeah. want it to be hard, right? Because the thing that happens in, in an office when the calendar is free, someone can just take your time. And the yeah. amount of social capital you have to expend to reject that yeah. It's just way too high. People don't do it. So what they do in that, instead is they come up with all these weird self-defense techniques. I've heard all sorts of things. They try to fill their own calendar Tetris blocks out with like fake events or they book their own time, right? Just so someone else can't steal it from them. And we just think like, do you know what? That's not good. You could just not do that. You could make your calendar not be public. And do you know what you'll end up with? A calendar with far less things on it. Like I tweeted just the other day, uh, like I opened up my iPhone in the morning yeah. and like, oh, the events for the day, nothing planned. And I went, hallelujah, this is a wonderful day. Um, what a great start that I see. I have no meetings or, or anything planned on it whatsoever. And now I can just get on with the work. Now, that's not to say that that's how it can always be. You can't no, collaborate not. with 56 people for a year and never yeah. talk or see anyone, nor would it be good. No. This is more about getting back into some balance here, that yeah. most of the time work should be about doing the work and a little bit of the time the work should be about coordinating and planning the work, right? But more of the time, we just need to pick a plan. This is why at Basecamp um, we have this clock frequency yeah. that runs in six-week cycles. Okay. So we essentially, every six weeks, yeah. we pause for a week or sometimes yeah. two weeks, and we call that cool down. That's when we assess what did we get done in the past yeah. six weeks and what should we do for the next six. And uh -huh. we, we make that determination, like here's what we want to work on for the next six weeks. The hope is that like we made that determination now and now we will shut up about mm -hmm. what to work on for the next six weeks because we made the plan, right? So let's just do the work. And then in another six weeks, we can talk again about, hey, maybe we want to do this or we want to do that. Um, but this idea that you're constantly discussing and moving around the work pieces, yeah. I don't think it's good. It's not healthy. It looks like it's collaboration. It yeah. looks like it's fluid. It looks like it's all these things. But the, the end result is that people end up just being frazzled and yeah. wishing, can, I just, can you just decide what it is? Yeah. And give me five minutes. Can you give me five minutes to just do the work and not interrupt me again about doing something else? Now, not all work is like this and something yeah. is interrupt based. We have uh, customer support people. We have operation people. Things yeah. pop up and stuff happens. Um, but a lot of the work is like this. A lot of the work is project-based work where you could plan it better. So it's not entirely interleaved. People don't multitask. That's a complete misnomer. They shift from tasks to tasks. Yeah. And every time they shift, there's time to wind down and there's time to wind up. There's yeah. huge transaction costs between jumping back and forth these things. So a key way to get the productivity and get the satisfaction that comes from that productivity is simply to say, we're not going to switch tasks for like two weeks. Wow. You work on this one thing yeah. for two weeks, 
and I'll leave you the fuck alone. Yeah. And you'll tell me at the end of the two weeks whether we're there and, and if it's good, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So, David, I can assume you're not going to be adopting Calendly anytime soon in your email signature? God, no. Um, it, it's funny. It's you... In the last month, I've been given Calendly four or five times saying, if you want, like, they're trying to meet with me. And they're saying, book it in my Calendly. And I'm like, really? I'm not to go into Calendly. It, it, it's to me it's it's such a fascinating dynamic because to me it's profoundly rude to ask like i want to meet with you but yeah. hey you go pick in my litter box of open times where you can find some <laughs> trash to, to to jam it into that's just a weird social dynamic <laughs> hey I, i'd really like to meet with you. hey here's my calendar you figure it out yeah. what like how is that even a thing right and then the second thing is this idea that any time of the day i'm free is a good time to meet like yeah. Most of the most days, do you know what? I'm not free at any hour. Yeah. Right? Like I'm working. Yeah. Like this grand open space that you see as just empty on the Tetris yeah. block, it's not empty. There's yeah. work there. That's yeah. why I do the work. So I try to set up my things. For example, this call. I set up calls at very specific times in the morning. Yeah. Usually around 9:30 to 10 a.m. Pacific yeah. time. Because after lunch, I want to just work. Like, I don't want to have that peppered with all this other stuff in there, right? Like, I need to get all that stuff out in the morning. That's where I do a lot of my coordination and, and, and my calls. Um, so, yeah, I, it's Calendly is, is such a, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. And I don't like email footers either. It was funny. I was just having this discussion on, on uh, Twitter. We're building this hey.com client um, and service for email. And, and someone was asking me, what are you going to do about all these these footers? Like, I keep getting these things that are like, they're three pages long of like, hey, don't print this out. And this is confidential. And like, <laughs> here's my 15 addresses and 200 phone numbers you can call me on. Like, how, do we get, how do we get rid of that? Right. And yeah. my answer was in, in part, like, we're going to start by being the change we want to see. So in the personal version of our email service, hey.com, there's no signature. You, you literally cannot put it in. Yeah. And we're not going to fill in the crap with like us saying sent by hey or yeah, sent yeah. by superhuman or sent by my iPhone. No, nothing. Do you know what? Emails already have your name on them. Yeah. They already have the subject. We don't need to fill the body with all this other crap. And then when we come to the business version, it, it was funny. Originally, we had made the pledge. There's just not going to be any signatures in hey.com, right? And then we heard from some some people in Europe and we're like, oh, it's actually a legal requirement in Germany and several other places that you have to have certain pieces of company information in your footer. But even so, your footer doesn't have to be five times as long as your actual email, right? Yeah. Um, so no, we're not going to have any calendar li in links in there or hopefully almost anything else either. And timeline for when kind of we can check out Hey and, or, or where can we go for updates on Hey? Yeah. HEY.com. We have a, yeah. a short spiel of the sort of the problem statement. Yeah. Um, not too much yet about what the product actually is, but we define what we see the problem to be, which yeah. I always think is is a step that some people just they take it for granted or they skip over it. They yeah. don't want to do the, essentially the analysis of what they're trying to solve. They just jump straight into let's build some features. Yeah. Features are great, but unless you have sort of a cohesive vision for why you're trying to build something new, there's a million email clients out there. There's a million email services. Like, why should someone give us a second look? Well, yeah. our opinion is because we have a different diagnosis of what's wrong with email and why it's broken and how we can turn it into something people no longer loathe, but they might actually like or, or dare I say it, even love, right? Like, I think email is one of the greatest... 
uh, software sort of protocols of all time. Yeah. But it's been sullied yeah. by abuse, neglect, yeah. and all these other things. So we try to sort of spell that out. And the problem statement is on hey.com. And then um, the product itself, we were going to launch it this month. Oh, okay. Um, it was going to be out this month, and we had geared up with sort of like our campaign for that. We had yeah. started sort of seeding one, and boom, the world gets smack hit with this pandemic. And we go, do you know what? Now is not a good time. We have yeah. a bunch of employees who are scrambling to make a new situation work from them. They yeah. all of a sudden, they have their kids at home and their spouses at home. And like, it's a new situation. No one's going to work like a full 40 hours, yeah. right? And no one is going to feel like they have that extra capacity to deal with the stress that is launching a new service. So yeah. we're just going to hit pause. Okay. It's not great. We, we had geared everything up for it. We were ready to launch. But yeah. you know what? It was more important that like the team that we have, they feel good about what we're doing, right? Okay. And the key realization there was almost all deadlines are made up. Yeah. yeah. We act as though they're not, but they mm -hmm. are. The humans setting down and say, like, you know what? Like, Friday the 15th, that would yeah. be a great day to launch. <laughs> and it's just like we pulled it out of somewhere, right? Like yeah. very rarely out of facts or whatever. It, they're yeah. aspirational. And then we forget that we actually came up with them and we think they're etched into stone yeah. and that we must meet those deadlines come hell or high water. Yeah. And we just went, no, we don't. We can just move the stone. We can just uh, etch that. I wonder if there's an international email day and you could launch it on that day. That, that would be the only one you'd really kind of I would be I would be into that. What we've done for now is we've just we punted it out. Yeah. Um, hopefully we're going to launch it sort of soonish. Yeah. Um, things have calmed down a bit. I think when the pandemic first started, we were like yeah. it was just so crazy, so yeah. much crazy in such a short amount of time. We were all scrambling. We we're like, I have no idea. Like, yeah. is it going to be two months from now? Is it going to be yeah. six months from now? What is it going to be? Right. Yeah. And I think perhaps been a little encouraged by the fact that at least at Basecamp, for most of the people who work at Basecamp, things have gotten a little more normal, perhaps even a little sooner than we thought. Like, Well, you guys funny. wrote the textbook on remote work. Yes. So we were we were ready for the work part um, yeah. because we were already working like that. So that wasn't the difficult. It was the life part that was hard. Yeah. And I think what we've just realized was humans adapt quite yeah. well to harsh circumstances. Yeah. And anyone who's now have to find a new routine yeah. with perhaps kids and a spouse at home and, and all that comes with that. After like, we just started at our home week seven of the quarantine, yeah. you kind of get into a hang of things. It's perhaps not the same thing, but like you get into a rhythm, right? And we've gotten into that rhythm for most people at Basecamp. And now we're more ready to think of like, okay, we're, we're going to do this. So we started showing it to a few people. And, and I hope that... Um, I hope we're we're closer. I, I just, I, we said April, right? And we were so like, it was in the banners. It was yeah. anything. So now I'm like, yeah, we're not going to say like X. And yeah. then we're going to get to X and like either the pandemic goes back up or, yeah, or something yeah. else happens. We're just going to hold off until we're like right before ready to go. Because giving two dates that you punt on like that, that's not good, um, good manners. So we won't do that. So I got to ask you, dad to dad. Um, David, what's your and being someone that wrote the book on remote work, what's your advice for dads that are that are just starting to do remote work? That's a, that's a good question. Because moms that are, moms yeah, are, I think yeah, I think for any parent who's thrown into this, who were not on this, and they yeah. had a routine that involved like going to an office and like being away from the kids for a certain amount of time, um, first accept that like you're not going to get it on like day one or week two. 
right? Like it takes some time to, first of all, acclimate to the new situation, then develop the habits and the practices to make this work. We think so oftentimes that remote is just like it's work, but in your home. Yeah. Mm, that's not quite the case, right? Like there are some sort of tools and techniques that you can employ to make remote work feel better for you. Yeah. For, to work better with your team and in your company. And that takes a little time to to learn that stuff. That's why we in, in 2013, the year you adopted Basecamp, yep. we wrote a book called Remote Office Not Required yep. that went over like what we had learned by at that point, I think like 12 or 13 years of working remote. And there's just some of these um, tricks of, of how to create the separation. One of the, the fears a lot of managers have with remote work is like, oh, if, if they're working from home, I can't see them. Maybe they're just goofing off. Maybe they're just doing PlayStation all day or folding laundry. And it turns out that the number one problem is the opposite, mm. that people end up working too much. Yeah. When there's no clear separation between home and work, yeah. um, they end up answering emails at 8 yeah. o'clock at night because like, yeah. hey, it's just a laptop and it's there and it's, it's a thing, right? So when we keep having to do with new employees that come into Basecamp, who worked in an office is we keep having to tell them to pace it. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. You got to shot the laptop at, at five. Like yeah. once you worked eight hours, that's enough. Like there's no, there's not bonus points here for trying to push in 10 or 12 or, or whatever. In fact, it ends up just biting you um, to, to do that. Right. Because you can do that for a little while. You can sprint for yeah. a little while, but eventually you get exhausted. And then the recovery is so much longer. We just go like, I am so uninterested in how much work someone can get in, done in two weeks. I, I don't care. I so, care what someone can get done in three months. So here's a question. In France, I don't know if you have any employees in France, but isn't doesn't the country of France have it where email doesn't even work after a certain time? It, yes. both There's a law both in France and I think also in Germany now where employees are, are essentially by law enshrined not to have the obligation to check work email. And I love it. I absolutely <laughs> I wish we would do that here too. We tried to do the small version of this in, in Basecamp 3. There's a feature called Work Can Wait. Yeah. That essentially sets up a schedule during which you will receive notifications. Yeah. Outside of that schedule, no notifications. I think that's one of the other problems we have is um, the consumerization of all our corporate tooling means yeah. that we now use the same devices for home and work. I have one iPhone, right? Like yeah. I don't have a work iPhone and a home iPhone. Yeah. And if I have a work iPhone and like all the notifications just keep piling in, do you know what? That's not great. And it's, it's you can keep saying as a, as a company, well, no, you don't have to worry about it. But humans are just curious beasts, right? Like there's a notification and it's a client and they say they need something. So you check it out and you respond right there, even if it is nine o'clock and you are supposed to read bedtime stories to your, yeah. to your, to your son or your daughter. And you go like, that's not a great dynamic. We need to deal with a structural problem in a yeah. structural way. We can't just leave it up to kind of the reserves of individual parents to, mm -hmm. to deal with this. There's all these weird pressures of like, am I supposed, like if my boss emails me on Sunday yeah. at, at noon, am I supposed to answer? Can I wait until Monday? Right. Yeah. There's all these things. So I think it's, it's to get good as a new parent at working remotely from home. You got to think of it. This is a new skill. I got to learn this. I got to set up some new sustainable habits. And then I got to realize that like, I'm just an individual and we need to do the work as a whole company. Yeah. So you can do a lot of work on your, your own, but it is so much more effective if you can get the buy-in from the company that like, hey, we're treating this seriously. We're going to 
do it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's just overwhelming you and taxing you or or even worse some of the things I've seen the last few days are absolutely making my skin crawl where employers are installing essentially spyware on their employee machines such that they take like screenshots of the desktop or with the webcam or something to ensure that people are working on it just go like oh man this is just this is exposing some of these tendencies that were always like just under the surface, right? Like the mistrust and, uh. and whatever else. And then it's just, it's bubbling it up. So I'd say to, to anyone starting to work from home, hopefully you don't work from a company like that. If you yeah. do realize it, that this is not normal, it doesn't have to be that way. And if you're being subjected to these kinds of invasive surveillance techniques, yeah. maybe you bite your tongue right now because it's not a good, but you start looking for somewhere else to work as soon as things get back to a way where you can. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing is to realize a lot of proponents of remote work, me included, we talk about all the happy things about remote work. Oh, there's the productivity, the control yeah. of your environment, the lack of a commute. Yeah. Um, your kids are right there. And like, those are all true, but they're going to feel a little less true right now because you didn't choose. Yes. You were forced to. Yeah. You were forced to work remotely and you're forced to adapt to this. So all these benefits can seem a little not like their benefits. And what you see is you see the drawbacks. Well, now all of a sudden I have to figure out how to set up my computer in such a way that I, like at work it was just all set up for yeah. me or, or how do I deal with the separation? Maybe I don't have two spare bedrooms and we're, we're two yeah. people at home who have to work and we have to share and that feels awkward. And there are all these other things where know that that is happening you're not doing this just because you want to you're doing this because you have to yeah. and then hopefully over time you're going to find a rhythm it's just like anything right like we started um homeschooling with our oldest right and the first day of homeschooling you just go like you, the head just explodes and you're like how is this ever going to work mm -hmm. and you know what already on day two it's a little less head exploding mm -hmm. Like it's so disorienting and it's so frustrating like right when you start and then you do it for a week or you do it for two weeks and you get used to sort of the, the drawbacks or you accommodate to them, then you can start appreciating the things that are actually better. Oh, yeah. Actually, not spending an hour and a half driving in a tin box back and yeah. forth to an office. Yeah. It's pretty great. I yeah. have that time now. Hey, spending my lunch with my kids. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I'm curious to see how many and what percentage of people will fight to retain the work from home world once people have the option to go back to the office. I'm, I'm very curious to see the numbers on that. I, I would be very surprised if they're not quite high. What yeah. we found at Basecamp is a very substantial number of the people who worked for, for Basecamp say yeah. they would not go back to an office. Yeah. Like, it's just not an option anymore. Like They've configured their life in such a way yeah. where remote work is just a, a baseline requirement. Yeah. So if they were to leave Basecamp, it's going to be for another remote opportunity, right? Yeah. And some people, they come to that a little slowly. Again, as we yeah. say, don't expect that you're going to love it. If you weren't doing it before and then all of a sudden you have to do it, like you're not going to love it on week one. It yeah. just isn't going to happen. It's going to be too disoriented. There's too much to learn. But by a month into it or two yeah. months into it, you can at least, I think, appreciate the, the nice parts of it. And then also still realize that like, it still isn't for everyone. Yeah. If you're, for example, you're a very extroverted person, yeah. you live maybe alone, yeah. and you're like, you just go stir crazy, right? Yeah. Like that's, uh, there's a reason why um, sort of isolation is considered sort of a form of, of torture, right? Like if you get yeah. in solitary <laughs> confinement somewhere, yeah. you're, the UN shows up and says like, do you know what? This is a version of to torture. And for some people, surely it feels like that, right? If yeah. you're 
sort of single and even if you're not right but the, the, the less human interaction you have during your day naturally right in our household there's three kids two yeah. adults right yeah. i get a lot of social stimulation probably in some days more than i can even handle but i'm also an introvert so my bar is lower i don't need any of the extra stuff right yeah. but you know what when i was uh, i don't know in my 20s and, yeah. and single whatever i probably did right yeah um because as we've heard from people, like you don't leave your house because like you don't want to, and you don't see other humans. And video chat is just, it feels like it's just as good. And in some ways it is from a purely productivity perspective. I don't at all subscribe to this idea that like the magic only happens when yeah. we're around the whiteboard together. I think that's all bullshit yeah. when it comes to the work. But when it comes to the human connection, there's absolutely truth to it. And I think a bunch of articles have been popping up lately about how just exhausting it is to be on video calls oh, all day. Man. And it is. Yeah, because, Zoom exhaustion. Yes, yeah. yeah, Zoom exhaustion, right? Because it's not the same thing as being there in person. No. Even for introverts, there's something engaging about being like three feet away from another human being in 3D moving and all yeah. the things, right? And I think that that is often sort of missed because a lot of companies they don't want to talk like that they want to talk about like oh well it's about productivity it's about all these other things. no it's about the human connections and some people are going to miss that more than others yeah. and some people are going to go like do you know what i'm not going to go back into that deprivation self yeah. voluntary yeah. get me back to an office my friend is at zapier and and he works just down the road from me here but i don't i don't know where headquarters is for zapier but but he loves it and and i think it's once or twice a year they they get everyone together physically and he, he introduced me to these cool things he was learning from his coworkers all around the world. And it's it's such an incredible story he tells me of the, the level of staff they get, the level of engagement. Um, yeah, and, and they have those times, right, when they meet up once a year to, to see each other physically. And yeah. So do we. Uh, twice yeah. a year at base camp, we fly everyone into Chicago and we spend yeah. a week together where the main focus is replenishing human connections, Amazing. not productivity, not yeah. work. We do some of that, too. Yeah. But we also do plenty of board games and we go out to eat and we do all these other things just to like yeah. sort of recharge that battery, recharge the social battery. And that really is important. And it was one of the things we, we were going to have our meetup here in April yeah. in Chicago. Oh, oh. We had everyone lined up. They'd already yeah. bought their tickets. Yeah. We we're going to have the meetup and then we were going to launch Hay together. Yeah. Right. Oh. And like, oh, man, bummer. That wasn't going to happen. Hopefully now I'm just hoping that we can have our fall meetup. We usually have spring and we have fall. Yeah. Um, but uh, but we'll see. And I mean, I miss that, too. Like, yeah. I'm very much an introvert. I very much like to sit in my yeah. my own office. But I, I, I can't do that for years on end. I still yeah. every every human needs some human connection. So that's just important. Focus that exclusively. One of the things we do at Basecamp right now is on Fridays, 10 a.m. Yeah, it's game time for an hour. Yeah. Anyone yeah. could show up on this uh, on this uh, video conference and call. Yeah. They pl just play games for an hour in the middle of work day. Jackbox, and, or are you guys using some sort of Steam? Um, I, I think they're actually mostly playing uh, uh, tabletop games or something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, and I think it's just one of those things where, like, you know what? The point isn't the work. The yeah. point is just that, like, hey, out of 40 hours, you can take an hour, you can take two hours, you can take yeah. a little time yeah. to just be a human with other humans. And you know what? That's also good for productivity. That's Not because cool. that's the purpose, but because healthy, happy, uh, mentally sort of uh, um, well-nourished people, they're just better workers. They're more productive workers. And, and it's just a, a nice human experience. So, David, I got to ask, so those that are hearing about Basecamp, curious about maybe switching from their project management system or wanting to adopt a project management system, what are they going to experience when they go to Basecamp's website right now? Because I've, you know, I'm a longtime user, so I haven't, you know, adopted one in a long time. Is, is three the only option right now? 
Um, three is the one we have in the front of the store for sale. Yes. If you write support and you say like, hey, um, the guys at the jelly <laughs> told me to get Basecamp 2. No, okay. We're going to sell you Basecamp 2. You, you can get Basecamp 2 if, if, if you wanted to. Basecamp 3, I mean, if you haven't already used Basecamp, I'd say um, have a look at that. That's that's yeah. our freshest uh, newest work. Yeah. Um, it's we're kind of billing it right now as the all-in-one uh, toolkit for working remotely because yeah. that is we saw a huge surge in the companies that wanted to to figure something out because yeah. all of a sudden they were forced to work remotely and Basecamp yeah. really makes that a whole lot easier. Um, and then what they'll find is it's just this um, this one package to, yeah. to to do all the work to to do the communication to track the work to follow up on the work to ensure that nothing falls through the cracks a place to invite their uh, their clients if they have that to yeah. to come collaborate with them where all the files are always up to date and the latest version um, and then it's also uh, I mean as dare I say it myself pretty affordable we have a one price it's 99 bucks a month, no matter how many people you have on it, wow. no matter how many clients you involve, it's got all the space you'd possibly need. That's it. Everyone pays 99 bucks. In fact, we actually even have a, a completely free version now called Basecamp uh, Personal. That oh. if, if you just have three people that are collaborating or, or fewer um, on three projects, we'll give it to you for free. Um, hopefully, I mean, you start using it, you like it, and, and then you'll, you you want to use the, the paid version. Um, so that's that's kind of the the pitch, all in one place, uh, not all over the place. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, David, it's been a, a real honor, a dream come true. Thank you so much for giving so much of your time uh, to our listeners, our viewers. Uh, it, it's been a real honor to have you on the show. And, and uh, yeah, our company revolves around your product. And I'm thankful to hear that it's not going away anytime soon, even though it's an older legacy version. I love your story of legacy. And, you know, I think there is a value to record players and records yes. and antiques and, yes. and things that just last. And I feel like we found an amazing product and tool that just works and it's strong and it's what we need. And so thank you for, for believing in that. It'll be here tomorrow. It'll be here 10 years from now and hopefully even 30 years from now. I love this idea that like you could be running 50 year old software because you like that. You like your M6. That's and awesome. it does what you need, and it takes sort of the pictures that you want, and it does the collaboration you need. Boom, we're going to be here for you. And the book on working remote and uh, work world doesn't have to be crazy. Both those are available on Amazon, correct? Kindle? Uh, uh, everywhere you can you can find them on basecamp.com slash books. We yeah. have an inventory of all of them. Um, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Remote office not required and rework. And we even have a couple of free books. Uh, we detail how we do software development. It's a process wow. called Shape Up. It's yeah. a completely free ebook. It's uh, you can find it also on basecamp.com slash books. Um, we have our old book, uh, Getting Real, which was the book we wrote in 2006 yeah. on what it was like to create Basecamp and how to start a software company. Also yeah. available totally for free. Uh, outteach, not outspend. Wow. And and what do you call yourself? Is it the, the, the father of Ruby on Rails or the, the creator? I, I say like? creator be just yeah. because like... I, I started it. I, I made the initial yeah. sort of extraction. But at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm perhaps just Rails' biggest fan. I mean, I, I still do some of the programming myself on new versions, but there are literally thousands of uh, collaborators and contributors on it to uh, rubyonrails.org is uh, where you found all about that. And then for me personally, I am um, pretty much only on one sort of social platform. That's Twitter. That. Uh, at DHH, um, which is um, sort of 
perhaps an acquired taste of a feed. Um, I would mix that feed up liberally with, with I don't know, kitty accounts or something else more positive on the world. Because <laughs> it, it's almost like my online spleen. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there, there's usually things I'm upset about up there. Yeah. So um, if, that's your, if that's your jam, then uh, that's good. That's awesome. Well, David, thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, this week on Marketing Jam. And we'll see you next time on The Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.